Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. You are now listening to season six of the show. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by the amazing Flo Nicholas. Flo has a Bachelor of Arts in English Language and Literature. She completed her junior doctorate at Massachusetts School of Law and has experience as a consulting legal counsel in litigation, managing counsel in bankruptcy and real estate counsel. She was previously the host of Contract Tech Showcase and Chief Growth and Community Officer at How to Contract. Flo is now the proud founder and CEO of, of the Get Tech Smart TV show. She is a passionate advocate for women in tech and diversity. On social media, she has the hashtag non-boring lawyer and more broadly dubbed the contract tech queen. Flo was recently also chosen to participate in the US LinkedIn Accelerator program, focusing on technology and innovation as a creator. So a very warm welcome, Flo. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> that was a great intro. I'm, I'm like, wow, I did all that. <laughs> you did all that. You absolutely did all of that. And it's our pleasure to be hosting you today. And before we dive in to all of that great stuff and all the projects and experiences you've had to date, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? I honestly don't watch that show. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because a couple of days ago, my husband said, hey, we should really start watching that show suit. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm a Viola Davis fan. And my favorite show that, you know, incorporates like the legal world and lawyers is like how to get away with murder. Uh-huh. I would say stick to what you like and we'll give Suits a zero because you've not seen it. And we're going to move swiftly on. So let's start at the beginning, Flo. Would you mind telling our listeners a bit about your background and journey? Yeah. So, you know, I went to the College of Holy Cross in uh, Worcester, Mass. So shout out to Holy Cross, you know, and I at the time I was kind of like, oh, I want to be a medical doctor. Uh, and, you know, then, you know, I, I realized that there was a lot of math involved and, uh, you know, math is not my favorite, <laughs> my favorite. So, but I, I, I loved debating. Uh, I was total, total debate nerd. I was part of the speech and debate team in high school and we would go to other schools and we would get a topic and we would have to prepare for, for or against uh, and it's not until you got there that you realized, you know, are you, you know, for or are you going to argue for again? So that that was kind of like the intro for me uh, into the legal world. And I've always loved uh, debating and negotiating. So when I realized quickly that, you know what, perhaps the medical world is not what I want to do. Law school was right there as the the second best option. So that's how yeah it started at Holy Cross doing uh, I loved literature. I had an amazing English teacher in high school and I just fell in love with with reading, you know, various, you know, from Shakespeare uh, to to other novels. So I continued that passion when I went to college, but I also did a lot of philosophy as well, which is great for critical thinking. Yeah, and I love how you kind of talked about how, you know, you like debate and you sort of got that literature bug and you used the word passion there, which is awesome. So obviously following your studies, you then went on to becoming a sort of consulting legal counsel and litigation. So tell us a bit about your role um, when you're there. Yeah, so at that time, I was waiting for the bar result. 
And I was just like, okay, well, what do I do? What I wait? I, you know, I, I still want to, you know, kind of start getting my feet wet. Uh, and I had other lawyers that I had met who, you know, were like, hey, you should start doing consulting and you can work with various law firms. You know, they hire lawyers to help them with their overflow of litigation cases or anything else that they're working on. And so I did that and I ended up lending a role at this law firm, which mainly focused on, you know, class action suits. And they had some really pretty big cases. And luckily, fortunately, I was able to do it remotely which I love, but just, you know, that experience was really fantastic because I, at that time, I didn't really know which practice area that I wanted to go into. So having done some consultation and worked on various cases, it, it was great exposure. It was a great exposure early on in my career. And I, and I did that for a little over two years until the law firm kind of had like a restructuring and, you know, I ended up having to move on to something else, but it was just really fascinating. Some of the cases that we worked on and trying to gather the evidence and finding stuff that I, you know, I can go to the, um, the head attorney and, and say, ooh, ooh, I think this is a good one. I think that this is what you're looking for. And, and that was definitely fun. The juicy stuff. I like it. I like it. So then obviously you had a broad experience. So you then went on to sort of being a managing counsel in bankruptcy. You've also been a real estate counsel as well. So again, what did your role entail as being a sort of managing counsel? Right. So it was what I really loved about this role was it wasn't the big firm life. I, I've never had that experience. And and based on I, what I see from other people on LinkedIn, <laughs> it seems like I'm like, I don't know if I want that big firm experience. But it was a small setting. And this was great for me because the owner of the practice, I, I was able to get that hands-on coaching, mentoring, and training. So when I first started, you know, his focus area was immigration, but he was just, this is around the 2008 uh, kind of like housing crisis and people are filing for bankruptcy. And he started taking on cases, but he had never done bankruptcy. Well, guess what? I I never done bankruptcy either. So, so he's like, hey, here's some files for you. Here's a bankruptcy book. And at the time it was, you know, the CDs. I'm, I'm aging myself here. It was the CDs that you could put in your computer. Here's a bankruptcy book that has the CD. You can download the forms. Go learn. And, and I'm like, what? I just came from doing litigation and now you want me to do bankruptcy that I've, I've never done a case in my life. I don't even know what I have to do. And he said, I don't either. So I'll focus on immigration. You go learn. And I did. I, I went, I learned, I researched, you know, what we're taught in law school. You know, you do your research. Just started just really looking at the forms you know, what the requirements were and took on the first client. They were kind of like the guinea pig, I guess. <laughs> That's how, how else was I supposed to learn? I had to, you know, start the paperwork for the first client. But fortunately, at that time, you know, because of the software, things were, you know, you can automate, you know, plug in the information and it calculated whether they qualified, you know, the preliminary tests to verify whether they qualified or not. And I just, Loved it. <laughs> it was like I just fell in love with bankruptcy and going, you know, to court. You know, when I went to the first hearing in front of the trustee, it, it was, I was nervous. But at the same time, I'm like, OK, uh, slap, slap, slap. You're here with a client. 
you're going to have to just throw the, those nerves out the window because at the end of the day, this person needs your help. Yeah, real wisdom share there. There's two things that I want to pick up on. Firstly, you were just given something and you had to run with it. And I think there's a real, you know, accountability. You took self-accountability there because some people might be like, well, this is overwhelming. Where's my support? Where, why aren't you going to help me? You know, where are you going to teach me? And of course, you know, you will get all those facets. But at some points in your career, you need to make it happen for yourself. And I love the fact that you were given something and you just went on, researched and just did it. So I... I tip my hat to you on that and i just think it's 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 so 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 important and you know we talk a lot about sort of being passionate in what you do and clearly that passion followed through and enabled you to be very successful in your role i want to talk about some of the differences because obviously you did quite a few different things there so yeah. you, know, you had responsibilities so how did they differ from sort of council litigation to bankruptcy to real estate right so you know once i kind of mastered you know doing the bankruptcy and you know started also picking up other things I ended up really being responsible kind of like for the day-to-day of the office, which is overseeing our paralegal and, and any other staff that we would hire when needed. But the other thing, you know, the day-to-day operations of the business. One thing that I just, you know, saw that I was really great at is is making sure that the clients that, you know, were coming in, that we were collecting the funds <laughs> that were due to us, right? Because at the end of the day, if the client doesn't, you know, pay the bills, eventually you're you're going to run out of business so i ended up actually being almost like a creditor as well for for the office because we had a lot one of the things i saw was very i'm a highly organized person and the attorney i was working for his he was really busy with immigration because around that time immigration was like really hot i mean it's still a hot topic today uh but it was really booming there and you know there wasn't any focus on you know, how we organize one hour five. That's the other thing that I was able to go in there. And at the time, you know, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't know about all these fancy legal tech tools and contract management softwares. We had the, the metal file cabinets, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they were storing files in the attic. And I'm like, how are you keeping track of all that and, and maintaining a client database? So that's the other thing that I was able to go in. And, and really organize all our, all our files, sort them, create a database, create a more realistic way of getting our clients to get their bills, receiving payments for those bills, and then also taking action uh, when there was a lack of payment. So that's one of the things I kind of liked about the being able to go into this office and essentially become a managing attorney, not because I own the office, but because now I was in charge of overseeing the day-to-day because the attorney just recognized my business skills as well as my organization skills. And it was helping bring in and generating revenue for the office as well. Love that. And I love that you talk about organization because it's so, so important. The more organized you can do, obviously, the more efficient you can be. And you touched on it there. And of course, we have to talk about tech because that is your your thing. So, you know, tech lawyer, sort of where did you get your initial interest in all things technology from? Right. So after I did bankruptcy, you know, during the time we did, I was doing bankruptcy, you know, we were also dealing with clients that had to do uh, loan modifications, you know, just real estate transactions and, and negotiating with, you know, the big banks like, you know, Bank of America, for example. So that's where the kind of like the real estate kind of came into play. 
But after a while, you know, started a family, you know, got married and, and just, you know, bankruptcy is, is just, it's not just you file and you're done. You got to go to court and I'm going to court in various places because, you know, bankruptcy is, you're going to federal court. So I could be in New Hampshire one day, the next day I'm in Boston or the next day I'm in like Worcester, Massachusetts, for example. And it's, it just became time consuming. I wanted something different. So I saw a role at a big telecom company and it said real estate manager. And I'm like, okay, this is a little different. And and it said remote. And I'm like, ooh, they caught my attention, (laughs) right? I saw remote and I'm like, I can work from home. I have a young child that just got married. This is perfect. But what I didn't realize, in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, real estate manager, I'm going to be helping negotiate their retail stores. What I didn't realize was there was this whole world in telecom and in the wireless industry. And went through the interview and everything, right? I'm just like, ooh, I'm going to be negotiating retail agreement. So when I'm interviewing, I'm like, I I prepared for questions that were geared towards real estate lease uh, agreements for retail stores, right? Yeah. But I'm like noticing I'm not getting asked those questions, right? And I'm like, okay, all right. So I just kind of brushed it off. So it wasn't until I really fully started and I got in that I'm like, oh my God, I'm in corporate technology operations (laughs) at at a big telecom company. And in that world, in telecom, you're working with engineers, you're working with construction teams, you're working with outside attorneys and outside consultants. And our team was responsible for the multi-million dollar modifications to cell towers. So we're dealing with uh, equipment like remote radio heads, uh, antennas, and I'm working with RF engineers. And I had to learn how to read like engineering drawings, structural analysis, mount analysis, uh, become really proficient because one of my jobs was negotiating license agreements, telecom license agreements, because cell towers are essentially real estate. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they pay rent, you know, on, on those cell towers. So my job as part of, you know, working with the engineers is, was multiple things. I wore many hats. The first thing was, all right, once the engineers, you know, wanted to do a modification. Well, what did that modification do? Well, customers want to be able to text, talk, and check their email at the same time. Well, how is that done? Well, you've got to modify the existing equipment and put on antennas and remote radio heads that have the capability uh, to allow customers to do all those things. So that's what the projects that I worked on. And for me, that was like my first introduction into this tech world. And I worked uh, in CTO for over seven and a half years. And what would you say like, your greatest learn from that experience would be obviously you know huge huge brand you know wonderful experience what would be like the the key takeaway that really set you up for everything that we're going to go on to talk about for your career in tech yeah you know i had to learn how to work with techies (laughs) because the engineers are these are rf engineers who are creating these designs and i had to learn how to read these designs and you know, as a lawyer, I'm, you know, I'm like, why? I just want to do the negotiation part. Can I just skip the other <laughs> part? Just send me to do the negotiations and the drafting of the license agreements with my team. But no, I, I, I couldn't do that. I went into an industry 
that I had zero experience with. And I went in working with people who have been in the industry like 15, 20 years. And again, just like I told you, when I started bankruptcy, I knew zero. Now I'm in this corporate technology operations being tasked with managing, you know, million dollar modifications. And I had to learn, I had to learn quickly. And for me, that was the, the most challenging, but most satisfying part, because I had to push myself outside my comfort zone uh, to be able to not just be just like, oh, negotiate red line, but no, I'm need to know these transactions in terms of what does this drawing say? What does this construction drawing say? And, and then be able to talk with the engineers and be able to talk with the construction teams and say, hey, I've reviewed these drawings. There's some parts that are missing. We have left out some entitlements. You know, we have entitlements to uh, a lease space of 20 by 20, but your drawing is showing a, a lease space of nine by nine. What happened to the rest of our leased area that we're paying rent for? Right. So those are the type of things that I had to do on, on a day to day. I like that. It's a really simple example to to understand. I love that you're sort of talking about meeting people where they're at. And also, you've never been afraid to learn. Right. And I think there's something in there right. in terms of like just your your nature and sort of the traits that you have. You're not afraid to start from zero with something and get yourself up to speed. And it's a great trait to have because we all have to start somewhere or we might have to take a career pivot or something might happen. So there's some real gems in there. So thanks for sharing. So obviously following that, you um, then also worked alongside a previous guest we've had on the show as well, Laura Frederick, at How to Contract yeah. as their sort of chief growth and community officer. So what skills did you acquire during your time there? Wow. What did I not acquire? Right. Like, I mean, Laura Frederick is just amazing. And and it, it wasn't for me, it wasn't just working alongside her. It was, you know, getting to be with a mentor, you know, someone who was like, OK. Uh, so one of my biggest challenges before I went to work with Laura was being an attorney that was on the business side of the house. If you looked at the, my day to day, I mentioned I was drafting, negotiating contracts, but I also was doing other things, you know, overseeing vendors, you know, program management, project management, and doing all that stuff. Trying to transition back into the legal world was a challenge. And having someone really take a look at my skill set from beginning to, you know, where I was before I started working for Lara was a challenge. But one of the things I love about Laura, she's like, oh, my God, I see all your experience. I see your background. And this is perfect. This is, this is exactly what I need is somebody who's well-rounded, right? Now, it doesn't fit the quote-unquote traditional attorney, whatever that means. I'm still trying to figure <laughs> out what that means. But what a fantastic opportunity and experience. Because Laura, a lot of people don't realize, is very creative. She is like a Canva queen. Yep. And, and, <laughs> I mean, seriously, like she will create things in Canva. I mean, I thought I was great at Canva. Like Laura, hands down, could teach a class about how to create in Canva. Uh, she herself, I consider her like she's a business mogul. She is highly intelligent. And to have the ability to work with someone who believes in you, right? She saw in me what... I kind of doubted in myself the ability to be a leader, 
right? Yes, I, you know, I managed a law office before, but this is, this is now a whole new level. This is like really the executive, the big title suite, right? You know, chief growth and community officer. And around this time, you know, I'm seeing like Alex Sue, you know, uh, you know, at the time he was at Eversore, you know, and then he, he's now at Ironclad, but I'm seeing his role. And I'm seeing, you know, also people like, like Kat and, and their roles as well as chief growth and community officers. And I'm just like, what do I do? <laughs> like, how can I match up with these fantastic people? And what I said to myself was like, you know what? Laura sees something in you. She believes in you. And what you're going to do is you're, you're going to be the hype person. You're going to be the cheerleader. And you're going to help put a spotlight on the benefits of uh, attorneys, even contract professionals as well. Um, keeping up to date uh, and upscaling or upscaling, I should say, with their negotiating and drafting skill, right? Because negotiating and, and, and drafting can be a challenge, you know, and, and trying to keep up with all the various uh, terms um, and, and trying to keep up with, you know, for example, uh, SLAs. I mean, there's a lot that goes on. And trying to be the best negotiator possible, not only for yourself, but also for, for your organization, you know, being able to see a contract and, and, and saying, um, yeah, you know, I, we might want to rethink, you know, this agreement, this third party agreement. And here are some things that we need to be mindful of. Uh, and that's why I loved working at How to Contract, because one, it was a great opportunity to work with the amazing Laura Frederick. But two, it was also a great opportunity to have access to the how to contract training program and the library of material. So yes, I was working with her, but guess what? I took advantage of the training. I was listening to those training, you know, because how are you going to be a cheerleader for a program that you, you don't even know like what's available or you're not even participating in the training program, right? Makes zero sense. So one of the, the benefits that I got from there was being part of the training program and participating with other lawyers that were around the world. And one of the biggest successes for me uh, was when Laura said, hey, we should create a mentorship program. And mind you, now we have lawyers all over the world that are in different time zones. And I'm like, oh my God, how do you... <laughs> How do you do that? How do you, how do you group the various attorneys in different time zones? But you know what? It worked. It worked and it was such a successful program. Created a toolkit, you know, that I would give to the So what we did was got senior attorneys to be the lead. Uh, and, you know, they would meet with their groups. They would talk about various concepts, legal concepts, and, and just help like really train each other. And give each other tips and have discussions. So out of that experience, of course, besides working with Lara, I'm really proud of that mentorship program, the international mentorship program that was created out of the How to Contract. I think it was fantastic. And the second thing I'm really proud of as well that Lara created that launched earlier uh, in this year was in 2022 and in, in January was ContractsCon. Yeah. Uh, and that to me was fantastic. 
and it was a huge success. Yeah, and everything you seem to touch turns into a, a huge success. And I love you talk a lot about, because I bang on about this as well, around the importance of mentors. And you had a mentor in Laura in terms of when you were working with her, but also, again, taking self-accountability and upskilling yourself, learning, being proactive, fantastic. So from there then, you know, let's talk a bit about some other ventures, because you are now the director, producer, creator, and host of local TV show that I mentioned in the introduction, Get Tech Smart. So what topics do yeah. you cover in the program? And do you have a favorite episode which you posted thus far? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I did when I was with Laura, before I get into Get Tech Smart real quick, is we also launched the show where, where we were inviting contract tech vendors and we were kind of doing a demo off all the various CLM tools that were out there. So I really kind of dove deep into the legal technology world, really focused on the various tech tools that were available for lawyers and really promoting why lawyers should leverage technology. From there, one of the things I noticed was I started looking in my market and I said, well, what's going on in the New Hampshire tech sector? Well, one thing that I ruled out right away was there, there really is not that big legal technology market in New Hampshire. So for those people listening, great market to try to tap into and right for the picket. But the other thing I said, okay, you know, Laura at this time was like, you can create your own thing. She was really pushing me to, hey, you can create your own thing. And I was like, well, what can that be? But I really love the show that we had. And I'm like, well, I want to create a show, but I don't want I don't want to focus just on legal technology. So I started doing research and looking into the New Hampshire technology market. And I saw that there, there was a booming market, but there really was no spotlight on the market. So I created Get Tech Smart to explore the emerging technologies that were happening right here in my state. And what I do is I have tech experts that are tech founders and CEOs of million dollar companies and billion dollar companies. And they come on the show and we, we focus on those emerging technologies that are happening from artificial intelligence, traffic light management systems, for example. I had BAE who they're, yeah, they're headquartered right in London, um, but they're all over the world. Um, BAE uh, came on the show. I had their community lead uh, who came to talk about the STEM programs that they offer for high school students. Uh, there's, there's one that I really love, which is focused on women in tech. And they, uh, you know, get high school uh females uh, to participate in the program and they're matched with mentors and they're doing things like from electrical engineering to mechanical to RF, just that really hands-on training and, and exploring and, and meeting, showing up in a room and being with other women in tech. And that for me was actually one of my favorite shows because I'm a huge advocate advocate for STEM, especially in early childhood curricula. And for me, the, the best way for kids to get hands-on and early exposure is when you have these big companies like BAE who are invested money in these programs that allow students uh, to come in and, and learn. And the other great part about it is these students come in, they learn, they get this hands-on training, they're a potential future employee of that company. Um, the other thing that I've been able to do with the show was um, 
I live in New Hampshire and there's not a lot of uh, diversity, especially in the tech sector. Uh, when I go to events, I'm usually uh, the only black person there. And one of the things that I, I looked at that and I said, well, what can I do to get more exposure off of the tech scene? and to get more women and minorities, underrepresented tech professionals to come to these tech events. So I'm not walking in and just looking and seeing myself. I wanna walk in and see uh, a, a variety of people. So I actually ended up launching a DEI New Hampshire tech networking event, which was sponsored by you know Get Tech Smart. And also I got sponsorship from local colleges like Franklin Pierce University, Manchester Community College. I had an organization called uh, Black in Technology that also sponsored, and it was successful. I had various organizations, tech companies like Raytheon, Velcro, and other tech recruiters that showed up. Uh, and it was so successful uh, that I'm going to actually be uh, doing another one and more details of that to come. I haven't finalized everything, but I had a pretty big player in, in New Hampshire who said, and they were there at the event and they said, we want to do the next one with you. Well, watch this face, folks. It sounds super, super exciting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks again for sharing that that sort of whole aspect of the, the, the journey from, from your side. And it's very clear just listening to you that you are passionate about tech, but also AI and cybersecurity. So what are some of the risks lawyers should be aware of as technology progresses? Because we're in this sort of whole Web3 tech advancement that things are moving super, super quick. So what would you say to that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things like right now I'm actually working on a project, I, I can't share too much details yet, but it's focused on artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. And one of the things as, you know, technology is going to continue to accelerate. Uh, it, we, you know, it, companies are investing millions of dollars in, in tech innovation. And because, you know, companies are competitive with each other, right? Everybody wants to have the AI embedded software or, you know, the next uh, big AI invention. But one of the things that, as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're now in this world where we have these other emerging technologies like blockchain and Web3. The best thing attorneys can do, and, and as part of my LinkedIn Accelerator program, I did feature several women in tech who are working in this space, uh, the Web3 and blockchain. We've got to understand this technology. Because one of the things that's coming up, as we see with, for example, the FTX scandal that's happening right now is how did this happen in the first place? And one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm seeing is that there is a lack of understanding of some of this technology. And attorneys are going to have clients that work in blockchain world, in the Web3 world with AI. And it is critical and imperative that lawyers start getting a good understanding of the implications of these technologies, the risks, the, the regulation. Like right now we're seeing, especially in the EU, this attempt to wanna to regulate AI, categorizing AI in various categories, like unacceptable AI, for example, or high risk AI, low risk AI. And then for like software, you know, marking it like, hey, check, this has a green mark. It has a green mark because this AI has been vetted, it's been approved, and it's safe to use. So clients are going to be coming to 
law firms and, and attorneys and, and saying, hey, I have this AI software, you know, and I'm going to be launching it not only in the U.S. market, but I'm going to be launching it in, in, in the EU as well. Well, clients are going to want to understand how to be compliant. Yeah. Right. They're, they're going to be looking for that assistance. Well, how, how am I going to be compliant? There's talk in the United States as well about how to properly regulate AI because there's some risks with AI. AI is great. It's great, right? It, it helps manage loads of data quickly, automation. I mean, there, there's so many benefits. That's like a whole show that we can have just talking about the benefits of AI. But AI has risks too. And especially with cybersecurity, one of the things as lawyers we need to be careful of because we now have all these great contract management tools, right, that are easily accessible in the cloud. And you can access it uh, from anywhere, which is great for teams working remotely. But for cybersecurity perspective, you know who else thinks that's great? Cyber criminals. They were like, oh, perfect. Now it's in the cloud. Let's find a back door. How can we now access that contract data? And that contract data, let's be honest, it usually has a lot of information on it, right? Absolutely. And so as, as lawyers, we've got to be conscious of what's going on with technology, the risks that are, that are there, the impact of regulation, not just in the United States, but globally. And we also have to be aware of the cybersecurity risks that are there as we continue to become a technology world right? We continue to want tech. We want more of it. We want more advancements. And there's a lot of future tech out there that's going to be coming out. But as lawyers, we need to be prepared uh, to be able to advise our clients. One thing I want to say is I might not be like, you know, a, a GC or in-house attorney uh, at, at a firm somewhere or, or a company. But I will tell you, as part of being what I consider myself an emerging technology thought leader, is I pay attention to the regulation, right? I pay attention to the risks because part of the work that I'm doing now and, and that I'm working on is to be able to teach others about technology, not just how you can use it, how cute and fun it is. But also buyer beware. Yeah. Here are the risks, here are the compliance issues and the regulations issues. And one of the books that I'm actually reading right now, which is right next to me, is uh, if you can see it, it's it's artificial intelligence, governance, and cybersecurity. So I'm not only a tech nerd, but I read uh, tech books so I can keep up to date where I can advise the clients that I work with to have a better understanding off technology love it and you know you're talking there about sort of continuous education keeping your finger on the pulse and uh, really paying attention and not making any assumptions so you can be best in class in your field time for a short break from the show are you looking for a way to get your firm working more efficiently and profitably while ensuring a better work-life balance for your team well, if you haven't considered our sponsor, Clio, I'm here to strongly recommend that you do. I absolutely love working with Clio. Not only is it the world's leading legal practice management and legal client relationship management software, it also has a really solid core mission to transform the legal experience for all, something I personally support. 
What sets Clio apart for me, it's their dedication to customer success and support. There are lots of legal softwares out there, but I know from talking to Clio users that their support offering is miles ahead of the rest with their 24-5 availability via email, in-app chat, and over the phone. Yes, you can actually call in and speak to someone. Clio is also the G2 crowd leader in legal practice management in comparison to 130 legal practice management softwares and has been for the last 14 consecutive quarters. G2 Crowd is the world's leading business solutions review website. You can check Clio's full list of features and pricing at www.clio.com forward slash legally dash speaking. That's www.clio.com forward slash legally dash speaking. Now back to the show. So I'm going to switch to, because I mentioned at the introduction, social media, because you are on social media, you're very active and you have your hashtag non-boring lawyer. So how did that name come about? And then how do you use social media to promote women in tech and diversity? So the <laughs> non-boring lawyer, I'll have to say it probably came from Lisa Lang and Lara Federick, uh, <laughs> because what happened uh, was Lisa Lang, when I met her back in 2021, she said, hey, I bet you can create a intro video. And pretty much what you would happen is when somebody would uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, it would be like not just a, oh, hey, thanks for connecting. But I would have like a video that would just be like, hey, this is flow or whatever, right? So I, so I was like, oh, okay, that's cute. So what I ended up doing was I, I took the challenge. I'm like, all right, she, Lisa Lang challenged me. I got this. So I went on Canva and I created this intro video, which so anytime somebody would connect with me on LinkedIn, they would get this like video, like, like not like long, like probably like a 30 second video with like, this is who I am. And it was like really cute. And so I connected with somebody one day and they were like, oh my God, wow, this is fantastic. And um, then they, they followed up with, wow, you are, you're like essentially like, not like the traditional lawyer that I'm used to. Like, wow, you are not boring at all. And I, la I laughed at it. But I don't know, a couple of days later, I just thought about that message. It's like, I'm like, damn, he said I wasn't boring. Like, what are they saying? Like, lawyers are boring or something? <laughs> like, what do they mean by that? <laughs> and that's when that's when the non-boring lawyer was born because I'm like, no, nah, I am far from uh, boring at all. I'm fun. I like to joke, just like to live life to the fullest in, in terms of just, you know, not you really taking myself seriously and, and, you know, just being a lovable person. Right. Uh, and I bring the energy. Right. <laughs> so, so that's where hashtag non-boring lawyer essentially came from is just, you know, this big push from Lisa Lang to really continuously tap into my creative side. And essentially I ended up writing, uh, co-writing an uh, article with her that talked about how lawyers should be creative. I, I love that. And basically I take from that just being human, being authentic, being yourself. And absolutely energy is everything. And I yes. completely relate to that. And you've been dubbed the contract tech queen. So last year, you were chosen to participate in the US LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program, um, sort of technology and innovation, very much your, your bag as a creator. So how have you utilized that 
program to build engagement from your online community and any tips you would share for people that are maybe looking to try and get more active on LinkedIn? Yeah, you know, that program, I, I almost didn't apply. I, I kind of almost had that self-doubt that was like, oh, you'll never be pegged. Oh, who do you think you are? And I ended up, you know, saying, you know what? Silence the voices in the head. And, and I, I applied. And, you know, one of the reasons why I applied uh, and, and what I pretty much said essentially was like, I want to take this opportunity to put a spotlight on tech underdogs. I consider myself a tech underdog. You know, there, there are so many wonderful people out there who are just tech disruptors and, and globally, and they're doing amazing things and just not getting the credit or the recognition that they deserve. So I'm so fortunate for having the opportunity to be a part of that program, you know, for multiple reasons. One, it was a challenge, right? And, and I, I love challenges. Uh, if it's boring and, and, if, and if I'm not feeling challenged and I'm flatlining, it's a no from me. Uh, this program was very challenging in terms of creating technology and innovation content. I really pushed myself to the utmost limit, like really dig deep to find my inner creative warrior. And, and I came out like, Rah! you know, just, I'm like, watch out world. And I used that program uh, to create a mini version of my local show. And I made a global version of it. And I called it Get Tech Smart Global Explosion. And I went around the world interviewing various people uh, legal technology, you know, in Africa, in Australia, in Dubai, talking to someone in Spain who's focusing on future technology, kind of like the blockchain and Web3 stuff we talked about. Just really meeting incredible, diverse women who are killing it. And what a motivation it was for me. But to me, the biggest thing was the feedback from the community, the feedback from the people I was talking to, like, wow, Flo, this is incredible what you're doing. And when you're creating content, half the time you don't really fully comprehend the impact that you're going to have on your community, whether local or globally. And for me, when I create, it's not a thing off Look at me. I'm so wonderful, everybody. I'm perfect. You know, my thing is, how am I making an impact in technology? What information am I sharing that others can learn from, be motivated and be inspired? And for me, that program showed me that I sometimes limit myself because of fear of, oh my God, people are going to think it's so silly. Oh, I don't know if I want to, but now I'm like, and I was talking to Laura Frederick um, and I was like, I believe I can fly now. You know, I believe I can fly, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. So long as I believe in myself and because some of the stuff that I created, honestly, when I would post, I would go back and, and read the stuff. And I'm like, I wrote that. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, wow. So I think what I see in myself is a sense of belonging in this in this tech sector. And this, I felt for a while like I didn't belong, right? I, I, I wasn't that in-house lawyer. I didn't have that GC title. Like, how do I fit in as a lawyer, but a lawyer who's passionate about technology? You know, where do I belong? And what I have learned is I belong 
anywhere where I'm welcome. Absolutely, my friend. And you are flying high. And I just want to say, we talk about this a lot, fear kills more dreams than failure ever will. And I'm so glad that you did apply. And I'm so glad for everything you've been doing and how you are helping promote more women in tech and pushing diversity. And I just want to sort of echo what you said, what one of someone said to me before, if you believe it, and you take massive action, you can achieve it. And again, you're a great testament to that. And before we finish up, Flo, because it's been a fascinating conversation, I just want to get your last pearls of wisdom for people listening to this who might be interested at breaking into legal technology, but finding it challenging to get that break into the sector. What top tip would you give them? My top tip would be, you know, when I broke into the legal tech sector and you know, sort of branching off to emerging technology. One of the things like I really focused on was finding mentors or or or, fi- or joining networks of people who you can align with. And for me, it was like Colin Levy. Oh, love him. And it was like Alex Sue. And when I looked at them, I saw they were not afraid to just be themselves. <laughs> you know, Alex is so authentic. He just shows up like, hey, I'm Alex. This is who I am. And Colin is the same thing. Like, hey, this is who I am. I'm real. And my biggest advice is that you might want to get into legal tech. And that's great. But make sure you find a component. Because legal tech is is massive, right? Because there's like e-discovery, knowledge management, CLM tools. I mean, there, there's a lot. Forensic. There's a lot. You've got to find what you connect with, what aligns with you. What if you're going to create content, you're going to be excited, right? You're going to be energized to, to share what you've learned. You know, for me, you know, because I've dealt with a lot of contracts, you know, my preference is, you know, the CLM tools and, and contract management tools, right? But when I talk about that stuff, you know, and I alert people about that stuff, I'm energized about it, right? I'm like, oh my God, can, can you believe like this tool can redline and then spit out A, B, C, D? And, and that's what you want. Uh, if you're going to be a thought leader, you want to show some some level of passion, right? Hence why hashtag non-boring lawyer is when I'm talking about, you know, the stuff that I'm passionate about, I'm energized. And you know what happens when you're energized? Your community is energized too. And you know what happens after that? They want more. They want to learn more. They, they're going to they're gonna be looking out for your posts. They're going to come and they're going to be engaged. And they're going to ask questions. And to me, that's the best part about being a content creator is when you have an engaged community that wants more and more of what you have to share. So that's the first thing that you've got to figure out is what do you want to share? What do you want your community to know? And are you excited about that I love that. And it reminds me of when I did a um, a LinkedIn live audio with Gary Vee and I asked him, you know, some some tips and he just said, post what you care about. You know, exactly what you're saying there, you know, connection, yeah. you know, and then if you bring the energy, you're going to inspire, you're going to lift others, you're going to encourage more conversation, more community, more thought leadership. And you've mentioned mentoring throughout the discussion. You've mentioned lots of rock star previous guests like yourself. Check out definitely Lisa Lang. She's been on the show. Colin Levy's also been on the show. Alex Sue's been on the show. And of course, Laura Frederick, who we've um, had before. So check out their episodes. But this has been an absolute thrilling discussion. I knew it would be from the start. And if our listeners, which I'm sure they will, want to learn more about your journey for Get Tech Smart, what's the best way for them to contact you? Feel free to shout out any of your social media handles and web links. And we'll also share them with this episode for you too. 
Yeah. Hashtag now I'm boring lawyer. That's what I use on LinkedIn, on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. <laughs> doing TikTok videos too. So I'm, I'm essentially, uh, yeah, everywhere. You just type in uh, hashtag non-born lawyer. Hello, Nicholas, of course, uh, you will find me. Well, happy to connect. Well, thank you so, so much, Flo. It's been an absolute pleasure finally having you on the Legally Speaking podcast. So from all of us on the show, wishing you lots of continued success with your career and future pursuits. But for now, from all of us, over and out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you like the content here, why not check out our world-leading content and collaboration hub, the Legally Speaking Club, over on Discord. Go to our website, www.legallyspeakingpodcast.com for the link to join our community there. Over and out.